Okay, new series time. I love my church. Now let's be very clear, because we've done this before, and some of the feedback we got a few years ago when people heard we were doing this series, they got a bit jittery, to be honest. Some people came up and said, are you saying that C3 is the perfect church? No. In fact, that's the first uh, a gap there in your notes, blank. Stating I love my church does not mean we think C3 is perfect. So relax. What we do know is, because we are family, because we have the same Father, because we are related through Jesus to the Father, what we do know is we accept some foibles and inadequacies and weaknesses that we see in our church family, don't we? <laughs> okay, let me ask a question. Do it this way. Listen carefully. Would any woman who is married to the imperfect man please stand now? Any woman that is married, not a trick question, to the imperfect man, please stand now. Come on. Either there's some people. That, so, you're, so you're saying I'm not perfect? It's my wife standing. But let me ask this question. Do you love him anyway? That's 50% of you, so we're now, we're now changing the series. <laughs> and some of you, look, you're not even standing. But you love them anyway. Take a seat. Let's just, for the sake of equality, because we believe in that here. Would the man, any man, let's just change this slightly, married to the perfect woman, please stand now. <laughs> Look at this. Oh, the reason we're doing this is just to identify the men in the room who were scared stiff of their wives. <laughs> we seem to have established that, and, and boy, am I standing with you. Please take your seats. The fact is, some of our weaknesses and foibles, we overlook and love anyway. I was raised in a family of five, my mum, my dad, all unique, related, and we knew each other's weaknesses. In fact, my dad, he had a real sense of his sinfulness. He always felt like he was never good enough, and he carried that, and he'd often be going about, talking about his inadequacies. So we gave him a nickname, out of love just to try and bolster him through life. The kind of play to his weakness, but we were, just wanted to help him. We, we called him, this was my dad's nickname, Rotten Ron. Lo loving family here, wasn't it? And that was, when he was down on himself, oh, we'd all say, yeah, Rotten Ron. And he'd smile and feel a bit better. My sister, her nickname was Pooey Pamela. We won't go into the details on that. My brother was Divvy Dave because he was a little bit out there, unusual. I can't remember what I had. I think it was Super Steve. Uh, memory fades over the years, you know. My mum's was BB. 
we call her BB. And you know, when you go around, you see the signs BB, uh, bed and breakfast it stands for. Well, we gave her a name and we drive along. We say, hey, that stands for my mum's name. Her name was Beryl. And that stood for because my mum was very different from my dad. She was super confident. She would walk into places where most people wouldn't dare to go. And she was only five foot two then. She's only four foot 11 now. But she'd walk in. She was in the Wrens in the Second World War. She was in the plotting room. She invented this rope technique to be able to help them move in the, uh, the plot across the, the boards. She did stuff that only male sailors up to that point had done. She wasn't frightened of anyone. She was confident. So we called her BB, which stood for Big Ed Beryl. She wasn't really, but some misconstrued it for such because of her confidence. And so in our love, we just accepted our weaknesses and foibles. This is what the Bible says, doesn't it? Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In Proverbs 17 and 9, it says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Love covers over. It doesn't cover up. A cover up is when something's gone on that really needs to be revealed. A cover over is when you know what it is. You know the weakness, but you love them anyway. Many years ago in this church here, most of you don't know this, but we had a, a church split. And I remember getting up and having to announce some things. But I'll tell you what, I left out a lot of stuff. Because I wanted to cover over my brothers, not to cover up, but not to expose them. If someone comes to you in this church and they say, hey, do you know about Josh Darley? And then they tell you something, say this to them. We've got it covered. We've got it covered. And then don't talk to that person anymore about it. Go straight to Josh Darley and say, is it true? Blah, blah, blah. Don't repeat it to anyone else. But you say to them, we've got it covered. Because we cover one another. We don't expose, don't we? Hello? Cover one another. It's what we're meant to do. R.C. Sproul says this. Peace in the church calls us to under-accuse over-repent and over-forgive. That would be really good to do. Under-accuse, over-repent, and over-forgive. So here's two reasons why we want to do this series. And we're doing it for the whole month of July, and we'll do it in different ways. Number one, as a church, we believe we are meant to set a different agenda. To say I love my church is countercultural. And we don't have to just be countercultural for the sake of it. We need to be countercultural for those things that are going the wrong way. And in the wider society, church is at best tolerated, it's kind of accepted for civic events and duties. Most people. They like the church to be there for hatching, matchings, and dispatchings. So they're there to be for birth, deaths, and marriages. So we'll, we'll kind of tolerate the church. But we'll only use the church when it's convenient for us. 
So the church is at best tolerated. Whereas the Bible reveals a totally different picture about the church of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not bad to have matchings, uh, matchings and dispatchings. They're good to celebrate. But the church is not meant to be there as a convenience store to meet your needs. It may do that as an overflow of something else. But the church is here on a mission. We're here to do something. Come on, I need this middle section to lean in a bit more and agree with me. Yeah, smile. Thank you, sir. What was your name? Stephen. How did I forget that? My, my name's Stephen. I need you to amen me on the front row, okay? As long as you agree with me. If you don't agree with me, just keep quiet. All right? There's the rules. So the church in the Bible is called this, a city on a hill, a light to the nations. She's a bearer of the good news. She's on a mission to advance the rule and reign of God. She is the bride of Jesus Christ. She is described as the body of Christ on the earth. So we shouldn't patronize the church to simply meet our own needs. Though I'll tell you, in the midst of the assembly of the saints, in the midst of the church, your needs will get met. Someone said to me just in the last few weeks, I joined this church because I was lonely and I needed companionship. They said to me, but I found so much more through getting involved, through serving. And so they met, they did come for their own means, but as they got involved at an ends, but as they got involved in serving, something else was met in them. The church is the harbinger, the front end, the, the announcer of God's rule and reign. Salt and light in the earth. To the churches. Closer to home, so in general society, the church is tolerated. What about in the church? Churches like ours, churches up and down this country, closer to home. You know, some of you, that, that Angie and I visit a lot of different churches across the country. We were involved just today in a beautiful wedding in a field in Milton Keynes. I was taking the service on Bay Hales, and it was a great, but there was people from all different walks of life, different churches as well. And even yesterday, this was said to us in conversation. I've discovered that lots of people don't like the church they belong to. And if I thought this was going on here, I'd be, I'd be devastated. Because even yesterday, but on many occasions, we've had people come up to us and tell us how poor and inadequate and weak and sickly and boring their church is. I've had someone come to me in this last year say, they kind of leaned in as though it should be a secret, I'm not even sure that our vicar is a Christian. They've said that to me. Some people said to me, our elders rule with a rod of iron. Yesterday someone told us that before someone was allowed to move house, they'd have to ask the elders of their church, is that okay if we move house? Go and live where you like. Do me. I've had other people come up to us in this last year and say, the church we go to, the music's boring. The, the, the elders are control freaks. There's no kids' work. There's no, no, nothing for the youth. There's no resources for the youth. And then they'll usually add something on the end of this, and I know I'm, I'm being out there and saying this, they'll usually add, have you got any advice? Oh, don't ask me. 
Because basically what they've just told me is this. Say that was all in one church, and it sometimes is. The vicar ain't a Christian. So that, in Bible terms, excuse me, that's called a goat. You know, when it gets to the end of the age, there's a goat and the sheep. The sheep go one way, the goats go the other way. So you're saying to me, this is how my mind's going. You're telling me you're led by a goat. The elders are lording it over you and controlling you like control freaks. There's nothing for your youth. There's nothing for your children. And then you usually add on the end, but we feel called to stay there. Have you got any advice? Yeah, here's my advice. Go and see your doctor. Go and talk to him. Because you're basically telling me, because I can tell you a church that's different than that. It might not just be here. It might be somewhere else. And you may have to drive 30 minutes. You have to drive an hour to go and get your kids in a place where they can grow and thrive, where the leader's a Christian. Hip, hip. I mean, I know that should be an obvious one, but... And then they tell me, well, I don't want to... I feel called to stay there. I'm sorry. The advice I'm going to give you ain't to stay. It ain't to stay. Because all you can be is rebellious in that situation, and no church is built by being with rebellious people. My notes just say pause for, for effect. Did I hear an amen, Stephen? You'd be sorry I know your name by the end of this service. You see, there is no spiritual gift of criticism. There's no spiritual gift to criticism. If you think that's your gift, go! Because we're here to build one another up. We're here. I want people to walk out of here feeling like we can do this. My dad's identity as a scheming, conniving, good-for-nothing sinner was because every week in church he was told, you're rubbish, you're a sinner, you're fallen. Your identity is not in your sinfulness. That's what you were. Your identity is in you're a child of the Most High God. We all know we were sinners and we're not good enough, but God made a way in Jesus Christ. And I want you to walk out skipping. That, that was me skipping. Rather than, I'm a scheming, conniving, good-for-nothing sinner. You with me? Stephen? Come on, you've got to do it naturally, otherwise you're just going to get named. There's no spiritual gift of criticism. This is a beautiful verse in the Bible. I don't know whether I put it in your notes. No, it must be in my notes somewhere here. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Did you hear the word always? Full of grace. Then it adds this, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you know what seasoned with salt means? It goes back to a Hebraic understanding of covenant, of loyalty. So if you were, I meant to get an image of this, but I didn't. So if you look at Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper, and you see them all sitting around, Jesus is in the center, everyone's looking at Jesus. It's a good picture, except one person. Judas, the accountant. And, <laughs> sorry, he's looking, he's looking at Jesus. His head is lower than everyone else's. Well, actually, he's not looking at Jesus. That's the point. He's looking away. And as he's about to get up, not only has he got the money in his hand, 30 pieces of silver, but he knocks over the salt cellar. 
If you look on the picture, look it up. The salt cellar's being knocked over. And that's depicting he's breaking covenant. He's going to do something very disloyal. And he's going to identify Jesus, the Messiah, who'll go to his crucifixion. Let your conversation always be seasoned with salt. Think, what can I say good about my brothers and sisters, about those I'm in covenant with, and those I'm in a relationship with? Not what I can think negatively. So the first reason we should do a series like this is to be countercultural. I want us all to be free and easy, just to be able to say, I love my church. Hello? I love my church. Second reason is this. And this could be the title of the series. We should love the church because Jesus loves the church. We all love something. Just take a look at some of these images. These are things that we all love. Can I have the first image up here, please? That's pepperoni pizza, but it's representing food. Do we have any foodies in the house? There we go. Food's good, isn't it? We, I, I'm, I've bemoaned a lot a little bit about becoming empty nesters. One of the good things is we've now joined this thing called HelloFresh. Anyone heard of them? They supply just enough food for two people. And it's good quality, and it's a menu that you can follow. Now, my wife has always been a good cook. That's right, wasn't it? Always been a good cook. But she's gone up another level since we've been with HelloFresh. In fact, how about this? I've never been a good cook. I now can follow one step, two steps, and I do it. I buy the detail on HelloFresh, and we are eating better food, more varied food, because the kids have gone than we've ever done. Hip, hip. <laughs> so we love food. We won't go any further down that one. What about this one? Holidays. Anyone want to go on holiday? Anyone like to be there now? Why? I'm preaching. Claire? We love holidays. One of the favorite times of the year. Next picture here. How about this? Oh, come on. All right. Some of you like Arsenal, but some of us are more discerning and godly. And so for us, let's look at the next one. Some of us love, yay. This is like pantomime season, isn't it, you know? Oh, Liverpool Football Club. I, I, I'm not ashamed to say I love them. I had asked for an image, but it hasn't come up, of some puppies. Oh, there we go. Ah, oh, how many of you love animals? I hate to tell you this. I hate them. I know they're God's creation. They poo, they scratch. <laughs> they, just, they smell. Now I know you love them. I, having said that, I have become a Facebook fan of these little uh, videos that you see of animals. And my, my family mock me. So why are you watching them? And there's one, I saw one this week just with a dog that was paralyzed. Anyone else seen this? 
well, some of you are lying because 1.7 million people have been on this. And there's a dog that was paralyzed and they found it and they massaged its legs and they took it in. And at the end, the dog's jumping like a little puppy and it's healed and whole. I'm crying my eyes out. This beautiful dog. I hate animals. There's another one. Oh, anyway, we won't go into it. But they're on Facebook everywhere. People love their animals. That's okay. What about this, though? What does Jesus love? And I've just taken, I haven't even given you the whole verse. I could have read the whole chapter from Ephesians chapter 5. But this is what it says, the Apostle Paul, speaking of what Christ loved. Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. And we should love what he loves. We should love what he loves. Christ loved the church. Now, some people said to me in the past when I said that, oh, but that passage in Ephesians is talking about the universal church, the holy Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, the holy Catholic church. That means the universal church, the church of all time and history and space. That's who he loves. Oh, of course he does. But everything that's universal regarding the church must get local. Because the passage teaches us then that the church, the bride of Christ, is meant to be a reflection of our own marriages. There's something mysterious that when our own marriages are to speak of Christ in the church. So when he's teaching the Apostle Paul, speaking about Christ loving the church, he's not just leaving it out there, he's bringing it close in. Because if we were just to say, yeah, we agree, husbands love your wives. As Christ loved the church, we just leave it like that. No, 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 no. It's got to come home to me. It's about you, Andy, loving Rachel. It's about looking around, someone else to choose. You, Josh, loving Elspeth. It's got to get personal. It has to be you and yours. It can't be left out there. All church has to get local. And we meet people sometimes and they say, oh, well, uh, uh, Josh was telling me a while back he met some people on the street that were giving out tracts which is a really good thing to do and he said to them what church do you belong to and they said oh we don't belong to a church why not because we haven't found anywhere deep enough can I tell you that's one of the most shallow statements you've ever heard it's just not deep enough what you mean is you're not going to submit to anyone or listen to anyone. You think you've got some kind of revelation that no one else has got. That's only what, what Scott was talking about last week. Gnosticism, where you think, I've got a revelation and you ain't got it. So I'm not going to join you because you don't get what I've got. You're too shallow. Well, I found this. I've been a Christian now for 173 years. And I have never, ever got to the depth of the love of God. I've never yet scaled over the heights of it. I've never quite got round of it. I've never got over. And I'm still working out how to love my neighbor as myself. And when we've sorted that one, we love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. Then guess what? Then maybe we can say, we're deep. We're all on a journey. And we belong together. I love my church to be countercultural and to love what Jesus loves. Let me give you one last thing in this last 15 minutes. It's really important. And I, I would like you, I, I don't mind if people say, I love this church, I love C3, 
because I love the worship. That's all right. That's good. Not everyone does. We can show you somewhere else, and I'd like you to go there and love the church there, the way they do it. That's not bad. I'd like people to say, I love this church because we love the leaders. I really would love that. Stephen? Amen. There we go. Can you sit there every week? Is that okay? We've sorted that one. You just say amen. Amen. Uh, it's, it's easy. I want people to say, I love my, I love my leaders. They, they should. I'd like people to say, I love this church because of the kids' church and the youth program. I want them to say that. That's good. But at the far end of all of that, that's all good. I'd also like them to say this. I love my church because of what we believe. We are believers. And we believe in the Great Commission, which Jesus gave to his disciples and has given to us. That is to go into all the world and make disciples. At the very core and heart of all that we do, we want to make disciples. And the key part of making disciples is making sure that we believe what we're meant to believe. Because, and here's the next blank in your notes, our beliefs affect our behaviors. Did you hear me? What you believe affects how you behave. And the world out there, though it sounds like it's a scary thing, it's not. People around us, the people in your workplace, the people in your school, college, the people at the school gate, wherever you find yourselves, they look at your behaviors. And they will be able to tell by your behavior, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And sometimes, anyone ever had this in your workplace? When you don't behave like a follower of Jesus Christ, boy, do they know it. And they'll say to you, uh, is a Christian meant to do that? And inside, this is how it used to go with me. Inside, I'm suddenly thinking, how did you become an expert on what a Christian is meant to do or not do? That's my first thought. And then my second thought is this. Ah, oh, you're right. Jesus said it in this way. The world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. So if tomorrow morning I'm uh, saying, oh, do you know about, do you know about Jeff? You know Jeff. He lives in, lives in Haverhill. Do you know? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking about my non-Christian. All I'm saying to them is, that's not love. And they have every right to turn around and say to me, well, all you're doing is complaining about the people you're with. The Christian's meant to act like that. It says again in Matthew chapter 5, that the people will glorify our Father in heaven when they see our good works. Behaviors. How we behave reveals our allegiance. Peter, when he was denying Jesus, when he got to the third time and he's being asked, when you a follower of Jesus, he goes into a filthy mouth. He, he swears, he, he blasphemes under heaven. What was he trying to do? He's trying to knock them off the scent that he was a follower. He's trying to say to them, I would never be a follower of the way. Even the language that we use reveals our allegiance. Our behaviors are greatly influenced by our beliefs. And so in this last 40 minutes or so, I just, 10 minutes, I just want to say some of the things we believe as clearly as I can. Now, don't get me wrong, this is a 30,000 foot sky view 
of some of the things we believe. I'd love to do one day a series related to all of these. These are the actual fundamentals. In fact, I honestly believe if we just spent through all of our teaching and preaching and discipleship programs related to these issues, then they would be the very foundations of which others kind of come off. That if we can get these, we, we have an understanding of this is what we believe, it will affect our behaviors. First one I put in your notes here is this. We believe in God the Father. Now, let me make this clear. What I've put in here are some statements that are from an ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was not actually written by the apostles. <laughs> some kind of tried to say that they all put together to put a different stanza there. It was virtually impossible. This was not put on by the apostles. The first creed was somewhere around 140, 150 AD, and it was for the church to say, this is what we believe. And when they were having a baptism or some kind of public ceremony, they would recite or confess these I believes. As time went on in the early church, then they, they broadened it. So there were some heresies that came. And so different councils met. And so you can get other creeds that go further, particularly about the person of Jesus Christ and his divinity. So what I base this on, that we believe, is the original one, 140 AD, the Roman uh, confession of what we believe. And we, just, just want to say this, we as a 21st century church, we are connected to those people, those followers of the way, in history. So no matter how contemporary, no matter how modern we become, we are still rooted in the deep soil of the church of Jesus Christ through the generations. And so we still believe these things. And these believe, the beliefs will affect how we behave. It will affect our confidence in the world. It means we have something that we can build our lives on. We talk about in the discovery track that we are orthodox in our faith. And this is part, part of our orthodoxy. This is part of the deep roots that we have. The first one is this, as I said. We believe in God the Father. That's really important. Because people do believe in God. This wedding yesterday, I got talking. It was the most artistic, thespian wedding I've ever been to in my life. I loved it, darling. And the people, one, one girl came to me to talk to me about my message. And I said, do you believe in God? She said, well, I was raised an atheist. She said, but I do have this concept of God. And then she proceeded to tell me what this concept of God was. You know what she'd done? She'd taken a little bit from there and a little bit from here, and a little bit from that, all pick and mix, put it all together, and she'd invented a God of her own making. And all I could say was, that's interesting. We believe in God the Father. So a Hindu may believe in many gods, the Muslim may believe in Allah, New Ages may invent their own God, you may have created your own God in your own mind, but we believe in God the Father. We believe in God, the Father. Now, it wasn't just introduced this concept of the fatherhood of God by Jesus. You can find God being referred to as Father in the Old Testament. Judaism today even refers to God as Father. The difference with Jesus was he introduced this sense of intimacy and close up. 
He knew God the Father as Abba, which is an Aramaic term saying that he's daddy, but it's not just daddy in a very flippant way. It's a deeply respectful, courteous daddy, but it's intimate. It's sitting on the knee, closer relationship with God the Father. And that's the God. We do believe in a God of relationship, don't we? You can know God and God can be known by you. He's God the Father. Now, let me say this. I have never, I've, well, no, that's a slight exaggeration. I've, most people I've met, most Christians, have had daddy issues somewhere in their life. I did because of my dad's inadequacies. Ange did because of her dad's inadequacies. He didn't like me. The, 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 there was lots of different Lots of you had different experiences. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said this, didn't he? You, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven? So in case we don't know, I'm not saying all fathers are evil, by the way. No, no, no. I am saying, outside of Christ, all of us have a propensity to do wrong. And that may include the mistakes that we make as fathers. There is no perfect father. Except one. Except one. And so it's really important that we know it's God the Father. We believe in Father God. About this, we believe in Jesus Christ. Look at these pictures, if you're with me following up there. These, this, this first person, let's see if you can identify who it is, was voted. Uh, oh, no, he wasn't, but we'll leave that up there. This, who, who is that? Shout him out. Yeah, founder of Facebook. He's been quite an influential guy in the 21st century. Are there any other pictures up there that you've got for me? Who are they? Where are they from? You see, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, the Liverpool. They influenced the music scene massively. But I'll tell you this, they can't save you. Any other pictures up there? Ah, now this guy, who's this? He was voted the most influential man of the 20th century. Did you know that? By Times Magazine. Incredible brain. Massive influence scientifically on the nation, on history. But he couldn't save you. I think I've got another one up there, if it's there, of Muhammad Ali. Great boxer. We could go on. Mother Teresa. Great people of the last century. Mark... So kind of there in this century. But none of them can save you. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we're a Jesus church. Whatever else we do, we keep Jesus first and central. How about this one? Musicians, come back. Please come back. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, don't switch off. Because some of you, Immediately as you hear that, we believe in the Holy Spirit, you think of weird people you've met who always talk about the Spirit. I just want to tell you this. They'd have been weird without the Holy Spirit. They're just weird. That's just the way they are. They didn't need the Holy Spirit to make them weird. Don't blame him. They're just weird. Lots of weird Christians around, aren't there? If any of you didn't agree with me, then you might be that weird Christian, by the way. But 
we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand Jesus. We believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside us and greater is He that is in us than He that's in the world. We believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us with gifts. We believe the Holy Spirit empowers us to be good witnesses. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. We believe He convicts of sin. We believe in the Holy Spirit. This is nothing new, but these beliefs affect our behavior. Because if you know the Spirit of God lives in you and you walk out to this place and you walk into work tomorrow, you know, I believe that the Spirit is within me and can help me. It makes a difference how you walk and talk. And so we could go on. Time will not allow me to go through all of these. But we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that one day Jesus is going to come back and we believe in the resurrection and we believe that he conquered death and we believe in the crucifixion. If the cross hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here. We'd have no hope. I was reading this week, and this I'll, I'll draw in, I, of Mel Gibson when he did the movie, The Passion of Christ. Passion of the Christ. When he was filming the centurion's hands that knocked the nails into Jesus' hands, wrists when he was filming that he decided to use his own hands so when you watch the movie it's Mel Gibson's hand that's banging in the nail into Jesus's wrist and Mel Gibson said he did that because he wanted to remember that it was him himself that put Jesus on the cross I want you to hear this. That's not true. Jesus chose himself to go to the cross. And though there have been thousands of crucifixions, there was only one man who was crucified because he decided, he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem. He came from heaven to go to the cross. It was his decision. He wasn't put on there by anyone. He chose. He could have called the angels to deliver him. This man was the God-man. But he chose to go to the cross. And he chose to go to the cross for you and for me. We believe in a crucified Savior who did it to save us our death would not have been adequate our death was never enough to save us we needed a perfect saviour behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world belief in that affects how you behave it doesn't make you arrogant but it does make you confident I am accepted by the beloved because of Jesus I have been born again I have been declared not guilty that's what justified means because of Jesus what do you believe oh no let's change that I left it in your notes here purposely is this what do we believe because I'll tell you this it makes a difference to know that we believe this together 
that when I'm feeling a little bit low and down, I can have someone come alongside me and say, hey, we believe in the power of the resurrection, that God's the glory and the lifter of your head, don't we? We believe. We're running a discovery track on the 10th and the 11th of July. I want anyone who's never done that, sign up two nights to find out this is the core what we believe this is our vision and values because I want us together to go forward into this next season saying I love my church and we're in this together because we need one another we need one another so we're going to finish our service right now with a great confession singing a song that says this we believe we believe we're in this together we need one another We're shoulder to shoulder. We're in the church together. And then we can say with confidence, I love.